Hey guys, welcome back to the Woodworking Podcast. My name is Nick Ferry. I can be found at nickferry.com. Joined with Jay Bates, who can be found at jayscustomcreations.com. And April Wilkerson, who can be found at wilkerdoos.com. I'm just so glad that we all have the .com. <laughs> Hello, everyone. <laughs> hey, that was a little enthusiastic there, Nick. Yeah, I thought li- it was nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess before we get too much into it, I wanted to uh, thank a couple contributors since the last podcast, Frederick McIntyre, Eric Wright, and a friend in North Georgia who wanted to remain nameless. We appreciate all that support. Really appreciate uh, it, guys. Thank you yeah. so much. Thank you so much. And also, uh, we've been requested to start a Patreon page by several people, so we finally have... Um, it's up and running. You can find that at patreon.com forward slash the woodworking podcast. Moving right into a breaking news. Who wants to take the wheel? Um, I want to hear what Jay's working on. I think he said he's working on a bookcase. Yeah, I'm working on a, a plywood pocket hole painted bookcase. So it should give uh, uh, quite a bit to talk about. Anyway, it's just a, a substantial size bookcase, I guess, about five feet long. 40 or so inches tall. And, you know, my wife is an avid book reader. That's her hobby. She's got books and books and books and books and books everywhere, which is totally cool. That's her hobby. That's her thing. And uh, quite honestly, it's less expensive than woodworking. So I have absolutely (laughs) no room to complain. Um, But there are. And it takes up less room. Uh, It does take up less room as of right now. Wait, wait of, three more years. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, she she definitely wants a library, but that's that's you know not in the cards right now. But you know she she's one of those that like physically has to hold the, the book and turn the pages. She can't do like the Kindle or the the tablets or nothing like that. So again, that's totally cool. But uh, we've got books everywhere, and we have a need for a bookcase. So this is going to be the fourth bookcase that I've built for her. Third different design, and hopefully hold the most amount of books. When I got the last two bookcases done, as soon as I had them done, they were full plus like a dozen books on the floor. So I Mm -hmm. never really got caught up with her. And I just, yeah, this one's going to be for her. And um, hopefully, uh, hopefully get all the books off the floor. That's awesome. I uh, I think it would be nice to have a uh, own library. I understand the sense as, as far as like having a dedicated room, almost like uh, the Beauty and the Beast library in the cartoon. There's something yeah. like real kind of like magical and cozy and romantic all at the same time about having your own space and all the books on the shelf. So that's cool. I hope that Jamie gets that one of these days. So where is this bookshelf going exactly? Um, it's actually going in the, in the living room slash dining room area where I shot okay. the, let's see, I made a sofa table previously and when I shot the outro for that video, that's the location where the bookcase is going to go. We've since moved the sofa table, uh, but it's going to go in the, in the dining room area. And, um, you know, we've got a spare room in the house that we don't really have a use for right now. And we've really wanted to turn it into a full library, but, I wanted it to be like a library slash office setting, but as mm-hmm. soon as we do that, as soon as we get something to where it's like an extra room in the house that we have complete freedom with, something's going to happen. A couple little kids are going to come along and we're going to need it. So I exactly. don't want <laughs> to invest in, uh, in uh, a, a lot of renovations, I guess you could say, for an entire room for that. But 
It's definitely yeah. on her bucket list. So what did you, uh, what made you decide to paint it and go with plywood and pocket holes? I mean, because I know that you, if it's in the dining room, it's going to be next to your beautiful hickory table, huh? Yeah, well, budget constraints right now. I just, um, I'm wanting a functional piece. And then mm-hmm. also, uh, we've, our dining room, living room, kitchen is like a big open flowing floor plan. And we have this like, uh, I forget the exact color name, but it's like a light battleship gray paint with wood trim or white painted trim. And it looks really good, that that nice clean look to it. And I've already got a couple things in there that are painted, like the mission style coat rack. And it does look good playing off the um, off the trim and the accent and such. So it's a it's a safe secondary option. I'd I'd love to, you know, make a matching hickory uh, bookcase, but financially it's just not in the cards right now. Well, very cool. I look forward to seeing it. I bet Jamie's really anxious about it. Is it a surprise or does she know that it's it's coming together? Uh, it's not a surprise. Uh, she she knows it's coming and um, she's not interested at, at all in the process, just the completed piece. So she is excited. <laughs> <laughs> and you, uh, on Instagram, I saw you said you're working on a outdoor shower. Is that what it is? Uh, yeah, an outdoor shower. My mom has been after me, I'm not even lying, two and a half years. It was two years in July or June to build an outdoor shower. Uh, my folks live in the Texas Hill Country, and so there's tons of privacy, no one around, uh, lots of hard work that they do around the property. So they just love the idea of being able to step into an outdoor shower, uh, rinse off, and then either get back to work or just call it a day. So, yep, I said, okay. This is going to be the week that I do that. So I came down to visit them and got maybe 80% of it done right now. So I need to finish it today or it's not going to get done. So I still have a little bit to go. I hear you. That's that's a cool project. I've I've wanted to do something like that, not necessarily for personal use, but like washing the dogs outside. Yeah, I like I like the idea as well. I mean, it doesn't work in the suburbs, but it definitely works if you live in the country. So yeah. um Yep, working on that. And then also before I came up here, I got my I got last week's project done on like a Thursday or Friday or something. So I was able to spend one or two days building, uh, getting started on my outfeed table. So I have like maybe 60 or 70% of my outfeed table done as well. So whenever I get back, maybe Friday or Saturday, I'm gonna go ahead and complete that project as well. So I actually have two in the, uh, two that I'm working on, but neither one completely done yet. That's cool. I don't know how you guys can do that. Like if if I'm not completed with this first project, I cannot start another one. I just Typically I don't, but since it was like I'm hanging around my house, so I might as well like one I wanted to be in my shop doing something. Uh it was beautiful weather, so I wanted to take advantage of it. And so yeah, I was like, well, I still have a few days before I take off to my folks, so I'm going to go ahead and get started on the next thing on my list. Um, but now that I'm here, completely switched gears. But if I was in my shop, yeah, everything would be on hold until I got that one project done, then move on to something else. Right. But yeah, the folding the folding outfeed table is actually coming along really well. I built this block that is, I forget the exact, but it's it's a little bit over eight inches and it's around three inches thick. And I'm mounting that to the back of my table saw where that right angle bracket is that's yeah. mounted. Um, so I mount, I'm mounting it to that and I was worried about it wanting to tilt forward and just be, and push up the back end where it would not be a level. So I cut in a slit to actually mate onto that right angle bracket on the back. 
And I took my time with it, set it up real nice, even set up a feather board, (laughs) which is actually the first time I've ever used a feather board on my own saw. But um, yeah, it came out perfect. And so now, and then I have the entire table built. So now I just need to attach it, hinge it correctly so that whenever it folds up, it's nice and level, and then also attach some legs. That is very cool. Having an outfeed table is, it's awesome. I agree. I do. Yeah, I, I, I'm really looking forward to it. I've been putting it off and putting it off, but now that it's actually in the process and I've used the one at Nick's, I'm like, okay, I'm really excited about this. And then I guess the next thing that everybody's been pushing me to do that I've been putting off is going to be uh, making the sled. Speaking of outfeed tables, uh, have you done anything with yours, Nick? Uh, it's it's what I'm working on yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Hopefully, I've uh, been adding some some bins for like organizers. Um, you guys will you guys will see these videos because that was when Jay and April were here. Um, they made the the outfeed slash assembly table, and I kind of wanted to add some some I would I'd call them tchotchke items, but helping with storage. Tchotchke. Why tchotchke items? Because they're kind of insignificant, you know, frivolous. They're not, you know, main to its performance, but it's just kind of converting it into a more efficient storage. No, I'm just wondering why tchotchke. Isn't that a character on Happy Days? That's tchotchke. Oh, tchotchke. (laughs) Yeah, Joni doesn't love tchotchke. (laughs) Okay, well, you two keep this conversation going, and I'm going to Google what tchotchke is. Yeah, I was gonna, well, like I've. I'm sorry. What is if, if it's, it's it's outside your normal vernacular. <laughs> uh, just like uh, little odds and ends item, little trinkets. Trinkets okay. would be okay. a good synonym. Yes, I'm, I'm curious to see what it actually says. I've never Ch- never Googled it. Chach, it says chachkis is the Yiddish word for trinkets and collectibles. Yiddish. Nick knows a little bit of Yiddish. You should, you should you should put that on like future resumes or you know bios. And I know Yiddish. <laughs> you, you guys, you guys don't ever speak in Yiddish. No, I can't say oh. that I do. I mean, maybe I do, and I don't know it. You didn't know it. Have you? Why? Well, I, I mean, I know it was Yiddish. You guys don't ever say oy vey. Oh no. What are you saying, Jay? Let's say, hold on, I'm googling Yiddish. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you are because I'm actually thinking in my head, who speaks Yiddish? What is that? What country speaks Yiddish? Yiddish is a language used by Jewel. Ju- hey, hold on. <laughs> Nick, why are you laughing? Yiddish is a language used by Jews in Central and Eastern Europe before the Holocaust. Okay. Before the Holocaust. Man, this episode is turning into a history lesson for oh, me. Oh my goodness. It's, I hope y'all are and, learning as much as I am. Well, and then Norwegians is sometimes as well. Um, there's like uh, up the peninsula of uh, Wisconsin, there's a little shop in there that, I mean, they got shirts that say oy vey on them. I've heard oy vey. My mom sometimes says it. I just didn't there realize that go. it was Yiddish. And I didn't know that Yiddish was a Jewish language before the Holocaust. Yeah. yeah it's <laughs> Those shops have those shirts next to the tchotchkes. <laughs> they do. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, Nick. So you're adding your your tchotchkes. Tchotchkes. (laughs) Tchotchkes. You're adding your Yiddish knickknacks to the table. What? (laughs) This train has derailed. What else? What else are you working on? When are you going to finish that hardware bin for the Harbor Freight units? That's coming up. But you said you're making an. 
outdoor <laughs> shower. <laughs> How does my outdoor shower? Yeah, I I still have yet to uh, have hot water in my house. Oh, I'm cry- I'm laughing so hard I'm crying. So. <laughs> hey, it, it, isn't it good enough weather? That's what you should do. You should build an outdoor shower so that you can shower outdoors for the next few weeks. No, we're into fall. Fall? What does that mean? Like eighties? I don't know. No, I think it. I think it got like I don't know fifty five last oh, no. night or something. I don't oh, know how you cow. do it, Nick. Honestly, don't. <laughs> Yeah, because people are like, oh, you know, I was talking to Sean Rubino, and he was, I think it was him anyways. I don't want to claim it was, but um, they were talking about, well, just take a cold shower, which I, I have, but you got to understand that Wisconsin groundwater is substantially colder than California groundwater. Oh, yeah. Even Texas. <laughs> My parents up here have a uh, a well that their runner, uh, water runs out of. So whenever the dogs get hot, I can grab the hose and actually spray them with the hose water because it's so under uh, so deep in the earth that it it actually is still cold whereas even in texas four hours north of here where i'm at i can't do that and not i mean not to mention i, I ended up going with a tank water heater because it was going to be a quicker retrofit i didn't want to change the lines and all that but then after doing like the energy and uh, temperature rise calculations i'd have to have quite a substantial um tankless water heater so it's just not in the budget and it's not in the time and then I got the water heater in the basement. I open it up, and it's a direct vent. Mm. And so now I got to box it up, bring it back up the stairs. Oh, no. And be like, yeah. So, because we have a power vent, is, you know, how it's set up. And I didn't feel comfortable retrofitting it. I'm pretty sure they recommend not to retrofit a direct vent to a power vent. But either way, that wasn't, wasn't, you know, that was above my pay grade. So uh, cold showers have been have been interesting. I've had to take some ibuprofen because <laughs> your muscles tense up so much and you're sore after the shower. Hmm. But I suppose neither here nor there. Uh, <laughs> I'll have to put some little tchotchke items in the in the shower <laughs> once it gets back up and running. Um, what, what what else? Oh, this is this is one thing that I, I noted that I wanted to bring up. But I got I to gotta tiptoe lightly because I don't want to turn it into a rant because I'm pretty passionate about this one. But I had a comment on one of my videos the other day about, oh, I, I couldn't do this. I don't have that tool or I don't have this, so I couldn't do that. I just wanted to remind people that there's a million different ways to do things. And when Jay and I were talking yesterday, I just referenced... Uh, breaking down plywood and just look at the different ways to break down plywood. You can use a circular saw, uh, a track saw, a guide, a straight edge, a jigsaw, heck, a handsaw. When I was you know a kid, we used to build forts. A handsaw we would use to break down plywood. You know, you, you use a panel saw, a table saw. I mean, there's. So I, I just don't like that mentality that some yeah. woodworkers have of saying, "Oh, I don't have this, so I can't," or "You have the fancy, and I can't." Most of my theater sets, and I've built some like three-story tall, huge theater sets, uh, normally is just a, a drill, an impact, and a circular saw, and the occasional miter saw. So it, it, there, there's a lot you can do with that type of stuff, and I don't know. I just, I responded back to the comment, and I said, hey, you know, there's a million different ways to try things. So definitely, I think it's a, an old Marine adage. I'm not a Marine, so I wouldn't know 100%, but improvise, adapt, and overcome. And I just, I kind of try to live by that to where you might not necessarily have, uh, 
I don't know, a metal cutting blade for your jigsaw and then, oh, well, I guess I'm done. I can't do it. Well, do you have like a die grinder? Do you have something else to, you know, anyways. Yeah, I, I sometimes get that comment as well. And or somebody says, why, why aren't you using hand tools or, um, you know, you're not a true craftsman because you don't do this. And it's like, eh, my, my kind of generic response is there's a million ways to do anything. So it's all about just being resourceful. And for those that, that know me halfway decent, uh, I'm a big uh, Little House on the Prairie fan, which was a, a TV show that was supposed to be set in the mid to late 1800s. And main character was Charles Ingalls, and he a lot of times worked at a sawmill. That whole true craftsman stuff, I don't buy into it. If you want to be nostalgic or that's your thing that you like it, that's fine. I mean, I've got nothing against it. But for people to say, oh, you're not a true craftsman. Trust me, if you would have handed Charles Ingalls an impact and a drill, I'm sure he would have used it. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, it's just, you know, just, just remembering whether people are seasoned woodworkers. Because that's always something that can you can forget about over time. Because you get complacent with, oh, I'm going to rip this down on my table saw, table saw, table saw, table saw. Or even get used to a dado stack. I, you know, a lot of times, you know, in the EU, they don't have, you know, dado blades. So, yeah, you'd have to use a router bit. You know, it, it might be a different process. It might be a different methodology, um, a different mindset even. But, and it might be more difficult or it might be easier. So, but just remembering that there's options. Definitely. That is your message of the day. <laughs> Brought to you by Nick Ferry. <laughs> I was trying to think the more you know, what was that, NBC or ABC that did the, the twinkle across the screen and said, the more you know. I remember that. I have no clue what it was. <laughs> we all want to hop into some questions? Sure. Sure. Frank D. Loretto asks, what type of brad nailers do you prefer, battery or compressed air? I have an 18-gauge uh, air nailer, but I'm tempted to convert to battery nailer so I don't have to deal with my pathetic three-gallon air compressor anymore. Uh, but battery-operated nailers are quite pricey. Also, in the near future, I have an entire basement to renovate with all new trim, so I feel feel the purchase is warranted. Uh, but I may just be trying to convince myself of that, just like the new, just like a new bandsaw. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's it's all about convenience. Uh, I yeah. find a battery-powered brad nailer or nail gun to be a lot more convenient. However, the one I've got now, I've got the Ryobi one, and it's been absolutely fantastic for the first, I guess I've had it two and a half, three years now. Up until like a month ago, it started to jam on me constantly, and it's driving me nuts. It's so oilless? I think I'm going Is it, uh, what'd you say? Is it oilless? Yeah, I believe so. Okay. Um, well, I just didn't know if, if it requires oil. I was going to ask if you were constantly maintaining it or not. Well, I don't know if there's any maintenance on it. I haven't done any, period. I haven't even, you know, spray painted. That's all the maintenance I've done. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, it's uh, it's all a convenience thing. Like, uh, when I was maintenance at an apartment complex, when I had to do trim jobs, it was a lot easier and more convenient for me to not have to drag in an air compressor and an air hose to all these different apartments. And then just noise. grab the gun. Right. Grab the gun and go. Um, I preferred that and then a hand-powered miter box rather than a, uh, uh electric miter saw. Uh, and it's just a convenience thing. So um, if it's more convenient for you, uh, then I recommend looking into them. But as far as getting the job done, they do the exact same thing. Yeah, and I, I have a pneumatic, but I would love a battery powder one. The only reason I don't have one is because I've already invested in 
I have a compressor in my air hose and my pneumatic nailer that's still holding up. But as soon as it kicks the bucket, I'm going to end up investing in a battery powder, battery powder, man, there I go again, battery powered one. <laughs> Oy vey. Oy vey. <laughs> well, you've got a battery powered uh, frame nailer, not battery powered, but a cordless frame nailer, don't you? Framer? Yeah, I have gun? a uh, siding uh, gun and a framing gun. Uh, the the framing one runs off a of fuel cell and ba- battery, and the framing one is uh, pneumatic. Yeah. So, so you're already familiar with the cordless option for nail guns, just not in the one that you'd use in your well, shop. Yeah, but the, 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 the pass load that I have, it runs off those fuel cells, and they're actually pretty darn expensive. So my next actual, like, Brad nailer is going to be a battery power only. Right. If I have the option. I would, I would say I'm, I agree with the, the convenience, but my convenience is heavily sprinkled with versatility. So I'm kind of a an old school person when it comes to that. I used to be a mechanic, uh, and so everything you know, air powered. But I tend to, you know, use the air tools more more than I guess Jay and April, um, just because I, I guess it's just the you know they're lighter for one, but then two the the versatility that you know the air is your power source versus the battery, and most you know battery operated Brad nailers don't make a high speed die grinder. And also make a paint sprayer. So the the power source is more versatile to me. And so that's why years ago I invested in a larger air compressor. And if you get some lightweight lines and stuff, being tethered isn't isn't the end of the world. And I, I've never had a problem with um, the majority of my Brad nailers. I have a boss stitch that's got to be close to 15 or more years old. And it runs like a champ. Um and then what's that? I'm trying to think of that orange brand, Freeman. That's a, like a like a, a good value. I was gonna say like a diamond in the rough because they're relatively inexpensive. But I have an 18 gauge Brad nailer, two inch for that, and the thing just runs and runs and no jams, no big deals. So I like the versatility of air. Well, your setup is also quite convenient too because the where your your air compressor is mount or located in the basement and then you still have that that panel built into your wall for your uh air hookups whereas in like like mine is just an obnoxious air compressor sitting in the room that i'm working in so there's a little bit of convenience there too with your setup yeah oh for sure and um that's kind of the reason i designed and made it that way is because it's it's like anything else if it's not easy to use you're going to tend to shy away from it so and i knew that i tend to use a lot of air so i would you know, I needed to make it convenient, which I just thought of. Maybe that, that could be like a diet plan for me. I'm going to hide the Snickers bars. Like, I got to get out a 14-foot ladder just to get a Snickers bar. Maybe that would... <laughs> <laughs> it's not convenient for me to snack then. That's fine. I'm going to go to Jay's house and put his Cheez-Its on the roof. <laughs> a roof. <laughs> or roof. Is that better? Yeah, there you go. Roof. Oh, you vey. <laughs> Now we have a an inside joke that includes the entire podcast listeners. <laughs> yeah. I don't know which one at this point, but I'm sure there's one in there. Something about trinkets or something. I forgot the word already. Joni loves tchotchke. Tchotchke. That's it. Oh, my good gosh. Oh, happy days. Anyways, 
moving on to the next question. Uh, Chad says, I'm planning on attending woodworking in America uh, convention in Covington, Kentucky next month and would like to get some advice before then. I'm in the market for a joiner and was wondering if I can typically get a pretty good deal on something like that at these conventions or am I better off buying it uh, online or you know through a catalog? And or let's say, and, and, and who has the better sale at the time? Well, it depends on what brand. Next month is actually next week for this particular situation, woodworking in America. Oh, yeah, yeah, good. Well, the, the question must have been looming for a while. Right, right. Anyway. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would say if you're, if you're something that you want to purchase, be going to the show with the ability, with the, either the money, the credit, whatever. And if, you know, know your prices, know where you can get them currently. And if, you, if there's a particular model that you're looking at, know what the going rate is for that and see what you can see what you can negotiate the show. I don't know if you're driving or flying, but a lot of times, you know, you could probably get a better deal if you, you know, take their, their show piece at the end of the show and that they, they don't have to bring it back. So Also, research the show that you're going to because this particular one, Woodworking in America, is primarily uh, hand tools. So if you go to their website, woodworkinginamerica.com and click on the marketplace and look at all of the vendors that will be attending, I don't think that there's a vendor, uh, that does sell, uh, jointers that will be showing up other than like hand plane jointers, you know, like a jointing plane. Um, you know, I actually completely, yeah, he might be meaning a hand plane, like a, a joiner plane. I, I just went to the electric side and you know, I got, I got off the pneumatic side. I figured I'd go right to electric. <laughs> well anyway research where you're going because it'd be a total bummer if you go expecting to see something and then they're not actually there so but it's a good segue question reminding people that we will be in cincinnati next week correct the 16th and 17th uh we will be in cincinnati well it's, it's not cincinnati is it it's kentucky Coving- covington kentucky it's they're split you know by a river i think I just keep calling it Cincinnati. Anyway, uh, Covington, Kentucky, directly south across the river from Cincinnati, Ohio, for Woodworking in America. And uh, we plan on doing a meetup somewhere uh, on Saturday night after the show. And we were we were looking at a place, and I don't know if we want to say it, or just say go to the woodworkingpodcast.com and we'll have it in a few days. I don't, whatever you want to do is fine. But I'd hate to say the wrong place. And then people are like, Hey man, I'm over here. Where are you? Yeah. Let's, um, after the show today, let's, let's figure out exactly and, 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 and put a place down on paper. And so we'll have it by the time that this podcast episode is published, check out the woodworking podcast.com, the show notes for this episode. And by that time we will have a place boiled down to, uh, where we're going to be hanging out after the show, come out, talk shop and, uh, drink a cold one if you want to do so and have fun. There you go. There you go. <laughs> there you go. That, I'm going to put that on the roof or the roof. Roof. That's the, that's the sound a dog makes. I know. That's why when you say it, it makes me chuckle. <laughs> the roof is rough. Roof. <laughs> Anyways, going into the next question here. Uh, David Bearford wants to know, what's the best finish for a maple dining tabletop? I have kids. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> Probably an oil-based polyurethane or something similar. Uh, anything that's going to see a lot of use with, um, you know, fingers and and drinks and heavy traffic, 
you typically go for a film finish rather than an oil finish because it just has a lot more protection built into it. And my advice would be like a, uh, probably like a wipe on poly. Definitely a film finish um, is my recommendation as well. In something thick, something that you can sand back. Because if your kids are anything like my kids, you will be refinishing that in at least four or five years. <laughs> Just the top, anyways. And, th- and that, I guess another thing worth mentioning, um, experienced woodworkers would probably already know this, probably not new news to them. But a lot of times when you're doing something that's going to get use like that, like the legs and the apron, I'll put like two or three, maybe four coats of finish on it. But then sometimes the top will get five or six because you're going to get all your wear and tear on that top. So something to keep in mind as well. Also, like the traditional polyurethane oil blend, the the oil-based polyurethane, would probably be more recommended. I, I don't know if it is, in my personal experience, I don't know if it has any uh, long-term durability advantages at, over like a water-based poly, because I've got both in my house, water-based poly finishes as well as oil-based. And I see no difference in them interacting with the piece. Um, and I just put water-based polyurethane on my dining table. So water-based versus oil-based. Someone may chime in in the comments as to say which one's better. But I think both are plenty adequate for a dining table top. I would concur. I concur too. Let's see. Another question from Bru- uh, Brewster's Make. What is the hardest tool to perfect when you first started woodworking? I've mentioned this before as it's it's more of a, a technique than a tool. And I actually mentioned this to my wife. She's not a woodworker, but it made complete sense to her. So that's why I'm hoping this makes complete sense. But making straight, true, and right angle cuts that are essentially, for the most part, burn free and tear out free. I think, you know, a lot of woodworking, the foundation is making carcasses, making cabinets, making platforms, things that are square, straight, plumb, and level. So to be able to just cut wood and have it be straight on, you know, all the planes it needs to be, and essentially a clean cut, I think that's a a good skill to perfect. Yeah, I think all the tools, I think you're on a good track there because I think all the tools, learning how to use a miter saw, a circular saw, a drill, a router even, they're it's all pretty pretty simple and straightforward, but doing the techniques that each tool provides you, that that's where like getting um one of the things that I really struggled with was getting good miters, like building even a simple frame or a gate, uh figuring out how to get that dimension and then how to sneak up on it in order to make them perfect. Um, but using a miter saw or even a, a a table saw to make those cuts is simple. It's just the technique of cutting in miters, four of them, all perfect, is the difficult part. So same thing what you're saying, Nick, I think. I completely agree with both of you. And also just uh, to add another skill, it's not part of the question, but to add another skill to, the, to what we're talking about there, getting things nice and square as well. Uh, you know, th- as you build... You want yeah. your original parts of the assembly to be nice and square because that's the, the foundation to the rest of the project. So getting everything square is nice and key. But going back to the actual question, the hardest tool to perfect for me uh, is not a power tool because I think power tools are pretty easy to, um, you understand them. They only work pretty much one way, you know, but a hand plane. When I first got my, when I got my first hand plane, 
I did way more damage than I did good with it, trying to figure out how to use the stupid thing. And it, with the hand plane, there's, there's obviously setup with the tool, the quality of the tool, and then also how to use it in different situations. So it is definitely a little bit of a learning curve. You can't just pick up a hand plane. Vast majority of people can't just pick up a hand plane and, you know, be Paul Sellers with it. Um, but if you don't understand the way that the grain is, you don't understand how the plane acts, interacts with the grain in different situations, then like me, you can do a lot more damage than good. Good input. Yeah, hand tools, I think, would be a different realm. Since I don't, um, since I haven't really picked any up, I can't chime in on that. But yeah, uh, whenever y'all showed me the hand plane, I imagine I would do the same thing, a lot more damage than good if I just picked it up and try to willy-nilly go after it. And you could actually use that to your benefit, you know, just put a piece of, uh, uh, of a two-by-four or something in a vise, clamp it to a table or something, and use a hand plane if you don't know what you're doing, just go to town on it and see what happens and try and learn from it. See, uh, analyze the results and, and see if you can't figure out some adjustments to make it work better for you. Okay, another question from, how do you how do you pronounce that? Um, Baguette. Ma- oh, Motorbach. There you go. Ma- Motorbach, it was from my Instagram. How much time do you spend on cleanup every day? <laughs> hmm. Nick, uh. your answer should be short and easy. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't clean up every day. <laughs> <laughs> I clean so up. I guess that I guess that negates me from it. I, I I try, but I'm more of a pile up three or four days worth of stuff, and then I'm at at some point I'm forced to have to clean up just to get to to horizontal flat space. Mm-hmm. I clean up after every project, or I clean up before getting started on another project. And then I also try to pick up at the end of the day or before the start of a new day. But I enjoy cleaning my shop. I don't enjoy cleaning the house, but I do enjoy cleaning my shop. It's like a nice relaxing thing. So I don't have to be forced into it. Um, I I don't know how to put a time on it. Even whenever I feel like being in my shop and I don't feel up to working on something, I go out there to clean. I turn on some music and I'll clean my tools. I'll clean sawdust, just whatever. That and I don't practice what I preach, but a good thing is make sure everything has a home. Again, I say I don't practice that because I'll, I still have stuff that I've had for five or six months that it just goes from one tool to the other because I, I never assigned it a home. Years. So, yeah, okay, years. You say months, I call you out. <laughs> <laughs> Jay, yeah, I think you're the um, same as me, huh? Yeah, I clean up constantly, uh, just mainly because I enjoy working in a clean space. I cannot stand working in um, uh, controlled chaos, as other people would call it. It just gets me frustrated when I when I have to move stuff to get stuff done. I know everyone works differently, but I clean up. the The entire shop gets spotless before I start every project, which. I never really let it get too bad. Occasionally it does. So it doesn't really take long at all. I could, you know, throw the radio on and after two songs, the whole shop is spotless. Yep. Um, but every time I change a specific process in the project, then I'll do a cleanup. Like if I'm doing a big assembly after the assembly's done, then I'll, and I'll, you know, do some cleanup or whatever. If I'm moving over to this other station, then I'll clean up what I used in the last station kind of thing. And as far as how much time it takes, if you do it as you go, it doesn't really take much at all. You really don't even notice it. Um, but 
that the actual physical time totally depends on the process. So if you're using a router to make a bunch of dados without any dust collection, that's going to take a little bit longer to clean up than say when you're done with an assembly and you're putting the clamps back on the wall. So not really much time at all. As, as long as you can continually clean up as you go. I think that, well, for me anyways, and like, like Jay said, there's different, people have different methods and it, it just kind of erects the juju for me to, to clean up as I go. If I have a thought in my head, I want to be, I want to see that to completion. So. All right. Tony Baggett asks, do you ever think you'll build a standalone workshop? What about you, April? Man, I hope so. Um, Cody and I are thinking about moving out to the country and it would be really cool to already have a shop, but it would be way cool if there's not a shop and then I get to design and build the the one to my standards or to my space and the layout that exactly I want. So I hope that one day I get to build my own shop, but I don't know if it's in the cards or not. I imagine it is, though. I mean, even if it's not on our next place, I imagine eventually it's something I'm going to end up getting into. What about you guys? I don't, I don't know if I will ever. I mean, because the question is, do I think I will? Mm-hmm. I know I want I I want to build a standalone shop at some point, um, even more so, uh, more specifically, not just necessarily a big rectangular box. Yeah, uh, we've been toying around with a small shed in the backyard with like a lean to, but I would if I you know I guess if it was like my dream shop, I always like the houses that are kind of like a horseshoe shape or a U shaped to where the center section is more kind of like a courtyard and one of the, I guess, legs of the, of the U would be like a garage. I'd like a shop like that to where the, the, the center, I guess you call it courtyard section is kind of more of an intimate, you're, you know, you're surrounded on three sides and it's almost creating an outdoor space within your, you know, within your architecture. So I just, yeah, because you always see people putting up big rectangular boxes, which is totally fine. And I would totally take that if it was anything bigger than a two-stall garage, but something with some architectural detail to it. Yeah. I, it's funny. This, this question comes up. Jamie was asking me yesterday. She's out of the blue asked me if, if I ever thought that this would be our like forever home, if, if I see us moving and I do, I don't see us being here forever. I think the location we are is just absolutely fantastic, but it could be a little bit better. Um, I would like to get a little bit further outside of the city limits. We are outside the city limits right now, but we're right on the border. I would like to get a little bit further out with some more land and then um, probably uh, build a barn-style shop. Nothing too crazy, but I would like to build a standalone shop that is relatively close to the house but not attached. I find that having my shop physically attached to my house is incredibly convenient, but that convenient convenience kicks my butt all the time because oh, I'll just walk inside and make a sandwich and the 45 minutes later I'm wondering what the heck that am I what, what was I doing oh I got to go back to work you know so if I could delay the convenience just a little bit or decrease the convenience just a little bit but still have it like you know within sight on property kind of like um Bob's shop in Wisconsin we saw um you know 100 150 feet away from the house something like that I think that would be a good situation, but I don't want to go crazy with a large shop. Uh, it's too much to heat and cool, and I'm too much of a wuss to not have AC now that I've spoiled myself. <laughs> when, when you said barn style, are you think it's something like a Gambrel type roof, or what are you thinking? 
roof. Yeah, something that has a nice loft up at the top. Okay. That's what mine has. Mine's a, like a gable style. I mean, it's a big old barn, and it's two-story. So it's 800 square feet on the top and bottom. So it's it's nice. It's, it looks like John Peter's, actually. John Peter has the same to where it's rooms in the top where he uses as an art studio and then or a painting studio, and then the bottom is a shop. Mine looks identical to that. And I love and it. You have the same. You have the same roof and everything. Yeah, the roof. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I agree. I love the shop being separate um, from the house. Mine isn't as far away as from Bob's in Wisconsin, but it's about maybe I don't know ten feet. No, it's more than that. Maybe twenty twenty five feet. Yeah. Another thing, I guess, if we want to think dream shop, and then I'll just kind of throw in my. Uh, like just just this stems back from my childhood but I, I would like a detached shop but just how cool would it be to have a tunnel going to your shop oh yes i've never thought of it i love it and then maybe even halfway through the tunnel the tunnel like bulges out and there's a like a 10 by 10 sitting area with some neon lights yeah. and, and, and library books like yeah like, and a, a super comfy chair there we go cheese it's books and a chair. <laughs> and I just love that the industrial the look. Yeah. I just, and I love that industrial look to where you'd have like um, EMT conduit, you know, that is between like explosion resistant lights and just this whole kind of miss, mission impossible type feel to it. I don't know. It's just, and that would be cool because speaking of being a wuss, I like, I like living, you know, here, but it does get cold. Well, at, you know, six, seven, eight o'clock in the morning, whenever you're having your coffee and you're kind of cozy and you got your robe on or whatever, you don't want to like go walk out in three feet of snow just to get to your shop. At least I don't. So a, a nice tunnel would be awesome. I like the tunnel. You could put an aquarium on either side of the tunnel so that you're walking and it looks like you're <laughs> under the water. That would be even cooler. <laughs> oh, they have to have like a SpongeBob down there and everything. Yeah. Sandy the squirrel. <laughs> All right. Well, that's enough of our shenanigans for one episode. Uh, we've <laughs> gone through the comments and if you or questions, and if you have any other questions, be sure to um, let us know on the website, thewoodworkingpodcast.com. If you want any uh, links or information that we've mentioned here, as well as where we're going to be uh, hanging out next Saturday at Woodworking America, or was it Covington, Kentucky? I can't. Why can I not remember that? Yep, Covington, okay. Covington, Kentucky. Right. Uh, then check out the woodworkingpodcast.com, the show notes for this episode. And we want to remind you that there's a couple of ways you can stay up to date with the podcast and get notified of any new content. Go to the woodworkingpodcast.com. And at the top, you'll find three clickable buttons to subscribe on Android, RSS, or on iTunes. Thank you all for the uh, feedback and reviews that you've left on iTunes. It's very much appreciated. If you want to contribute, there's a contribute button on the website. And also you can go to patreon.com slash the woodworkingpodcast. That's it. Thanks for putting up with us this week. You guys take care, and we'll catch you on the next one. (laughs) Bye, everyone. See you guys later.